The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to those expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the OSA Foundation Incorporated or any other group or individual. This podcast may contain dialogue or subject material that could be considered for mature audiences only. All aspects of how you play the game and the OSIP Foundation Incorporated are protected by copyright and other state and federal intellectual property laws. Unauthorized use without the express written consent of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated is strictly prohibited. If you're interested in sponsoring how you play the game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Well, we're back once again. Yes, it's time for How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the second episode of the month of April. The year is 2023. So glad you can be with us. As always, check us out online at osipfoundation.org. Email the show at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Uh, Facebook.com slash OSA Foundation, Twitter and Instagram at OSA Foundation, hashtag how you play the game. Uh, I have another great episode for you today as we continue our series in interviews with uh, people I was blessed to meet while uh, in Indianapolis. Our guest today, he is the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Editor at Referee Enterprises, which handles Referee Magazine and the National Association for Sports Officials, my friend from way across the country from where I am, Mr. Bill Top. Bill, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much, Jack. Doing great. Glad to be here. Uh, pleasure is all ours. Um, you know, you you being the COO and executive editor means you're a you know pretty big deal. Can you begin with kind of giving us a background of what your job entails now, just so we can kind of set the foundation? Certainly. Referee Magazine has been publishing since 1976, publishing a monthly magazine specifically geared towards sports officials. We're from Racine, Wisconsin, the southeast corner of Wisconsin, and have 24 employees here working every single day on behalf of sports officials. Our sister company, if you will, is the National Association of Sports Officials, founded in 1980 and run by the same people that are running the magazine here in Racine, Wisconsin. So NASO currently has 28,500 members, volunteer membership members across the country and around the world. And our staff every day deals with uh, sportsmanship issues, support issues, training, recruiting, retention, assault legislation, all kinds of stuff on behalf of sports officials, plus publishing between 50 and 60 training manuals, books, videos, and other educational resources annually. So personally, I've been here uh, since I was an intern in 1990 and started full-time in 1991, and I'm talking to you today so that's amazing been... seeing how you're only what 23 24 years <laughs> exactly. old and you've been I used like... to get away with that joke before i start losing all my hair yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh we we call these first world problems but i get it i totally get it um now you if, if my research is correct you were originally working uh as an official in uh college football basketball and baseball is that correct yeah i had a t- basically 20 year career in each sport high school and small college baseball basketball and football, baseball, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a short tenure in Division One college baseball. Um, and then as my family grew, my job grew, and my kids started playing high school sports, I backed off from that personally. Um, so I haven't been officiating in recent history, um, but I had a 20-year career in three different sports. 
So, so it was essentially, you know, you're the the natural progression of time and career that led you to taking on this position. Not anything nefarious or you know bad experiences or anything. It was just the beauty of your family evolving and everything that led you to where you are now out at uh, Referee Enterprises. I just didn't want to miss my kids playing sports. Um, That's and beautiful. I, and I felt like. Uh, with being here and working here every single day as a full-time job, I'm never away from officiating. So it's in my blood. It's always been in my blood. Uh, but I backed off to watch my kids play, coach some youth sports, um, not the competitive youth crazy level, but the let's go have some fun level um, and enjoyed that experience. So I got to see that side of it a little bit, but um, touching officiating every single day for the last 30, going on 34 years is what my, what I do every single day. That's that's absolutely beautiful. And kudos to you for being able to to do that. I know that to a certain degree, you know, depending upon who you ask, that could have been a tough decision. But on the flip side, the opportunity to, you know, be with your kids and 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 you know, play that play that role must have been and probably still is uh an exceptionally beautiful thing that that I would imagine you treasure. Yeah, I don't miss I, I don't regret the decision. I miss officiating. I miss I miss um being with my buddies more yeah. than anything. Um, quite frankly, Jack, I'm at the crossroads again because I had always said that when my last kid is finally done playing, um, that I'm going to come back to it in some capacity. Well, I'm there. My last yeah. kid graduated high school last year, so I'm toying with the idea of coming back in some capacity, but um, not in the climb the ladder capacity anymore. Uh, I've, I've done what I need to do in officiating. I'm mm -hmm. proud of it, uh, but I think it's going to be more on the mentoring, working with young people, um, trying to get more people involved in officiating. So yeah. I could see myself either on the field or court doing that or in some sort of mentor role with the local officials associations around here, trying to get more more people involved and get them the support they need as they get started. That's wonderful. And that's wonderful because we, we certainly, you know, you and I both know that, you know, the cultivation of officials as they're coming up and whatnot uh, through that, that mentoring role uh, can be make or break sometimes with regard to, you know, keeping people in the game as officials. Uh, and you and I also know that, you know, with the shortage that we have, how important that is to continue to, um, you know, build that, that foundation again, you know, so we don't have to go through some of the things that we're experiencing right now. Um, good. It, it's everything. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're putting so much focus on recruiting right now in this industry, which is great. But if we don't start focusing on retention, we're going to keep recruiting, uh, and, and it's not going to get us anywhere. We've got to find a way to keep people who we've got yeah. interested, and that's that's a key focus. Yeah. And, and it really happens at that local level. Um, yes, we need national programs from national governing bodies and, and organizations like NASO and all that is wonderful. But if you don't have that one-on-one -on -one connection at that local level, you have a real hard time keeping, keeping people. Our, our survey data that we've done over the years – consistently shows that if we can get people past year three, we got a chance to keep them for quite a long time, but we can't get them into year three. They're quitting in year one or year yeah. two. Um, so that retention part needs to be focused. Is that, you know, as, is, is that where the state of officiating is now where, you know, if I were to ask you that broadly, uh, is, is that recruitment retention and more so retention, as you just discussed, is that, kind of the end all be all right now uh at that global level you know because you know from where i am obviously i see it but you're you're seeing it at the national level um is is that the primary thing that that 
you know, for lack of a better term, kind of keeps you up at night or, or there are other things that kind of go with it. And I mean, I know you mentioned the statistics of that third year and whatnot. Can you, can you, you know, kind of shed some more light on that, on, on some of those things that, that kind of speak to the recruitment retention issues as well? Yeah, it's, it's the lifeblood of what we're talking about every single day and working with organizations around the country, like the NFHS and others trying to come up with solutions, because if we don't find a way to solve that problem, um, like I said, we're just going to keep recruiting and recruiting. I mean, I can bring I can bring 50 officials into our local officials association, but if 50 of them quit in year one or two, I'm just feel like I'm on a treadmill. I'm not making much progress. So um, there's a number of things going into this. Uh, one, it's been harder to find young people wanting to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, two, um, in so many cases, the training and support is lacking. Um, you know, the old days were you know, go attend a four hour clinic on a Saturday and then good luck to you. Here's your rule book, take a test and you're off and running. A lot of us went through that, uh, but it's not good enough. It takes a lot to navigate through that. We got to find a way to get them trained better and still have standards of training such that when they're out there for those very first times, they feel reasonably well about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't impart experience overnight, but right we have to train them to the point where they can actually feel good about what they're doing and then prepare them for the reality of this. Um, This isn't for everybody. Um, We all know that who've been in this, but that's part of the appeal, frankly, Mm -hmm. is that this isn't for everybody. Right. So you've got to find a way to get into that competitiveness that they might've had as a player or a coach, or maybe not at all if they didn't participate, but you got to tap into that, that our, the way we measure success is, is by a game well officiated, not by a win or a loss. And that's a hard transition for some people. Um, and the other thing we're facing, quite frankly, is this, uh, this to paint a very broad brush, maybe slightly unfairly, uh, this instant gratification uh, era that we're dealing with, where if they don't start working varsity games or get the state tournament by year two or three, they're out of here. Right. And that's just not reality. I mean, you know, Jack, as well as I do that, you know, when you, when we grew up in our era, you might've worked three, four or five years before you even sniffed a varsity game, depending on the sport, mm-hmm. depending on the area you live. Um, those days are gone. And these, these young people or these new people are not necessarily even young, but they're being thrust into varsity experiences quickly, too quickly, but that's because of the numbers problem we're having. Yeah. So it's a toxic mix. As we always say, we often start people at the youth level, right? Which is logical. But at the youth level, you often have inexperienced players, you have inexperienced coaches, and you have Mm -hmm. inexperienced referees, and you have parents that are more out of control at that level than at any level. So if you can get through that, you can get through just about anything. Yes. But we're having a hard time getting them through that. It's, It's so ironic that you say that. I mean, I just reflect on my experiences. It took me about seven years to sniff a varsity game at the high school level. And now as I am the president of my chapter, I've got guys in year two who were working varsity and you're absolutely right that it's out of necessity. And, you know, you can try and say, well, look, we're not going to put those people on these games, but when you don't have the officials and the games have to get covered, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be, you know, right. and, and you just kind of have to bite the bullet. Um, I want, I want to go back to what you were talking about with the training. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder in, in your personal experience, if you have any thoughts on this, we find that, you know, the, the 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 training of new officials 
is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because, you know, when I was going through it back in the old days, you know, it was you you go to a class, you know, maybe like one, once a, a week, you know, for eight weeks, and then you sit through a weekend clinic, and then you start working your way into some middle school scrimmages. And it's very, it's, it's, it's a long drawn out process that uh, makes sense, com- you know, considering how people get trained for really anything, any skill in life. Um, and now it's because of perhaps the instant gratification, perhaps the, you know, whatever, really it's the, you know, you get, you get the weekend clinic, you get a class or two, and then you throw them into the fire and you just get the the games covered sometimes. And on one hand, that's good because the people who don't want to sit through the classes because of the instant gratification get a piece. But on the other hand, you're, you know, it's baptism by fire. Do you have any thoughts, insights, comments on is there a be- better way to do it? Are there things where we can marry the two? Um, you know, what what have you seen with regard to how we need to kind of please both God and mammon in this type of a situation? That's the heart of it. Um, the really uh, COVID forced us in this situation in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There were officials associations around the country and state associations and national governing bodies that that wanted to keep training going. So what did we do? We did online things, right? right. We had to. Local officials associations meetings were canceled. Clinics were canceled. So we tried to engage online. Um, and we had Zoom calls up the wazoo. And we had online testing. And we had video sharing. And all that's good. But what it lacks is the mentorship and the camaraderie part of this that is so valuable. We've got to find a way to, to marry them both. We need to use technology, no question. Mm -hmm. We need to watch video. We need to break down plays. We need to interact with technology in a very effective way that can be cost-effective too. But I don't think anybody can be a quote-unquote good referee by just doing that. Yeah, We have to have the time spent with each other to talk about the nuances, the things you aren't going to read in a manual, the things you aren't going to pick up on watching a video, and spending time with veterans talking about experiences, talking about handling situations, talking about handling managers, coaches, players, all those things that come with experience, but that experience can be accelerated if we're interacting well with each other. Mm -hmm. I think what we're missing right now is that engagement. We are, a lot of local officials associations have lost that after the pandemic and are maybe slowly getting it back. We as officials aren't doing it as well. You know, again, not to talk like the crazy old coot but in the old days you know as a jv official i might tag along with the varsity crew and sit in on the pregame and maybe go out for a beverage afterwards Mm -hmm. and pick their brains and and things like that Uh, i don't know that a lot of that is happening anymore part of it is out of necessity we're putting them on games that are not time to go do that kind of stuff but that's where the real learning happens i don't know that that's ever going to change we have to find a way to get back to that but accelerate the training with technology and clinics and camps and all those things and try to make this accessible to a lot of people. Do you think that, you know, we mentioned about the the instant gratification, and I feel like that also kind of leads to just the, I don't know if you would call it the general personality of, of people as we've, as we kind of move along in time, 
you know, the it, it feels like the 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 way that we do that type of mentoring, that off field mentoring, if you will, the ability to pick each other's brains, the ability to go have a drink afterwards or whatever the case it, it it seems to dissipate, not I guess on both sides. Yeah. OK, so, you know, the the veteran officials uh, might not be around to do it because maybe they're working two, three games and, you know, they just physically can't do it. And then some of the younger officials, I feel like either they're too scared or they don't know that they can do that. I mean, is there a way that we can kind of get that that, I don't know, water cooler talk kind of thing going again where, you know, you can say to an official, you know, hey, you know, we, you and I just worked a game together. you doing anything. Let's go back, grab a beer and talk about what we let's post game, if you will, you know, o- over a drink or two. Is there anything that we can do or is it just as simple as telling everybody, hey, if you don't have another place to be, go, you know, chat with these guys? I put that all on the veterans, really. Really? The veterans have to lead that. They always have. For generations, the veterans took a leadership role in that area. That's not for everybody. Yeah. It, but And you don't have to have a great officiating resume to do that. You didn't yeah. have to work the state tournament 12 times or work college sports to be able to do that. Right. You might be a career JV official, but be a really good mentor. And and that's okay. But it, the veteran has to reach out. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for a young kid, I don't care what generation we're talking about, to walk into a situation cold and say, will somebody be my mentor? Will right. somebody help me? So I put it on the I put it on the veterans. Now, yes, you are right. The veterans are working so much now that they have only so much time, almost so much gas left in the tank to do yeah. this kind of stuff. But it's imperative, and I think that we got to encourage local officials association leadership to get back to encouraging their members to do this. And it can be very informal. It can also be very formal. There are some successful organizations out there that assign a mentor to a rookie, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's by design, because yeah. if that rookie has any issues, can pick up the phone, can text, do whatever, uh, and constantly check in with them, maybe every couple of weeks, say, hey, how are things going? Anything going? Any plays come up you want to talk about? That's successful. That's formal. And maybe mm-hmm. we need to formalize it a little bit more to get this going again. Right. To me, we got to get back in person as much as humanly possible. And again, supplement with technology, supplement with video, and use those technologies in your local association meetings. Part of the reason that NASO exists is to find a way to empower officials associations mm-hmm. to make them attractive to want to be there. Mm-hmm. If we're just simply doing it the old way where the old guy in the room stands up and reads a chapter from the rule book and, you know, sit there for an hour listening to a lecture, nobody wants to do that, but especially young people don't want to do that. Yeah. So we've got to find a way to incorporate technology into our meetings and make people want to be there. I imagine that the, that that's also true, regardless of the level. That same template affects college level officials just as much as it might, uh, you know, youth level officials and and high school officials in the middle and God knows wherever else. So it's not like this is specific to just one level or one sport. It is it, it's a global thing that you know the, the, that the veteran officials can do. You know, regardless of anything, is to is to find. You know, find those those new up and comers and and help mentor and cultivate them, right? Well, there's no question about that. I mean, mm-hmm. let's just use basketball for example. Mm-hmm. If you're moving up the basketball ladder, small college on into small, maybe mid major division one on your way to division one, you're a good play caller, mm-hmm. and, and and you better know the rules, right? Yeah. So what else is left? What's left is how you manage people and how you manage situations. Well. You're not good at that yet, even though you think you might be. Mm-hmm. 
it takes time to learn that. And one of the ways we learn that is by interacting with other veterans who have been there and done that before, made mistakes that we can learn from. All those things happen. So yes, it happens at every single level. Uh, yeah, at the lower levels, we're still focused on play calling and basic mechanics and where are we supposed to stand and what are we supposed to look at. Mm -hmm. But so much of our youth training focus is on that. And so little of it is on dealing with the, what they're really going to deal with, which is angry people. Yeah. And and how to how to get through certain situations with coaches or parents. Um, we can have a four hour clinic and I, I can tell you where to stand and take a play at first base. But if we haven't talked at all about what you're about to face, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, speaking of that, you know, we we've obviously, you know, talked about that ad nauseum when we were in Indianapolis. And I'm sure we deal with that on so many different levels in, in both of our respective roles. Um, where are we in terms of uh, the sportsmanship level? and the way that we are managing people when it comes to uh, coaches, players, fans, et cetera, uh, and their behavior. Because it always seems like to me that the poor behavior that, that could and does come from these people from time to time is also a detriment. You know, I the, the, the best example that I give in my neck of the woods right now, is, and I say this a lot to coaches as well, is where I say, right now I get paid the same to work a high school varsity game or to go work a middle school game by myself that has a time limit and has people who don't bother me. And, 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 you know, I, I think that's starting to hit home with some of them to realize that they, they, they can't treat people the way they think that they can. Where, where do you see that at a national level with regard to the treatment of officials and how that, how that affects what's going on right now? Good question. Um, every survey that our organization has done from the 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts to the 10s and, and now mm -hmm. has shown that sportsmanship is the number one problem regarding recruiting and retaining sports officials. So 2017, we did a national survey, uh, a robust national survey, and got more than 17,000 responses. And easily the number one problem was sportsmanship by one, parents, and two, coaches. Mm -hmm. So when I look back at feature stories we did in Referee Magazine in the early 2000s, the same thing, same exact thing. Now we just did an update to our national survey that was just released last month. Okay. We have more than 36,000 responses this time, which is incredible. Yeah. And we're analyzing the data now, and it's going to be presented at the NASO Summit in Riverside, California in late July. And then it'll be on our NASO.org website after that. But that is already showing that the, the sportsmanship has gotten worse, even yeah. from 2017 to 2023. And anecdotally, I can tell you that we have more reports of assaults of sports officials coming across our desk now than at any time in history. Um, people always ask when they're dealing with legislation, well, do you have data on it? The answer mm -hmm. is no. It's very difficult to have data on it because not everything is reported and there's no really one reporting mechanism to do so. If I'm working in one state, I might report it to one governing body. If I'm working in a different state, I might report it to another, plus the youth level, the high school level, the college level, all that. But a lot of them get reported to us. The reason is for NASO members, we have an assault benefit package, believe it or not. It's mm. gotten so bad that part of our insurance coverage covers assaults. And if you are assaulted during the course of action of being a sports official, we have insurance coverage that protects you 
and pays for some of your medical expenses from your assault and also goes on offense with an attorney to go after the perpetrator. So it, it, it is an incredible statement, Jack, to be able to say that NASO had to ha- add that to its benefit package, mm. but it's true. And we get cases every single week about somebody being assaulted in this country. So I can tell you that, that has increased significantly in my going on 34 years here. Mm-hmm. And um, the number of states pursuing legislation is increasing. That's a good thing, but it also tells me they're reacting to a problem. Yeah. Um, so all the data supports it. Uh, sportsmanship has never been worse. There are many organizations now trying to tackle this, which is great. Uh, but until we fix the parent slash coach problem, we're going to continue to have officiate problems. It's it's so funny that you talk about the issues with with the data too. I mean, on our end, you know, we talk about that from the standpoint of it's it's hard enough to measure what you just described with regard to the incidents and how they get reported and whatnot. The flip side to that, where you can show progress is also not very easy to measure because I can't, I, I don't have the ability to uh, show, you know, how many uh, incidents I avoid or we avoided as a result of this. You know, the most you can show is, are the numbers of incidents going down? But even that kind of then falls back into the trap that you described where either they're not being reported or they're being reported to only one place or et cetera, you know, where it's it's just so tough to 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 be able to to provide a tangible uh number and 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 evidence to point to that you know we we need to fix this problem um are there any ways that we can address the the data problem and convince people of that because you know i know that people are going to especially legislatures are going to be looking for data what can we do to present the idea possibly without the data, knowing that there are issues with said data, just you know, from a reporting standpoint. In particular, legislation activity. What our, and we have helped 22 states have assault legislation on the books, or some mm-hmm. sort of assault legislation and independent contractor legislation protecting sports officials. There's about eight right now that are in various stages of discussion, mm-hmm. uh, some in committee, some moving along a little, a little farther than that. But one of the issues that we always have is the data issue. But to me, we liken it to almost to, um, as sad as it is, but it's almost likened to domestic violence data. Yep. You don't really know how much is out there because not everything is reported. So one of the challenges we have is trying to, and, and here's another thing, what we do is try to encourage our sports officials to report it. A lot of them are reluctant. I can't tell you how many calls yep. we get every month where somebody will say, well, I, I was assaulted, but, you know, they were heated. They didn't really mean it. I don't want to get the kid in trouble. I don't I don't want to get the parent kicked out of the school. So, you know, I'm upset that this happened, but they said they would take care of it. And we're trying to convince them, no, you've got a greater obligation to all of sports officiating mm-hmm. to report this, to get a police report filed, to, to pursue charges. Because if, if we're going to walk away because, oh, they didn't mean it, it just, it just, furthers the problem um we we our industry itself has to start reporting everything that's happening then the, we we'd like to find a way to encourage the national governing bodies and the state associations and other organizations to actually share their information with one another mm. that would help um, not every organization requires a report 
Not every organization requires the same report. For example, in one state, they might require that all technical fouls and yellow cards are reported. In another state, they might only record just ejections. Well, I could tell you anecdotally, we had a situation in our state where a particular coach had had nine different technical fouls in one season by nine different referees, but it was never reported because mm. only rejections were required. Never got ejected, mm. but nine tees out of whatever it was, yeah. 30, 30 some games, that's a lot. Yeah. So we have to get consistent on what we're reporting, who we're reporting to, and NASO trying to be a, a hub for for that information so that we can provide it to the legislators uh, to make good decisions. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, it, it really does mirror all of these cases. I mean, it almost sounds like a, like a law and order episode, you know, where, and we see this, you know, where domestic violence, even, even, you know, rape, all these different things are, it's, it, it, there, there are these situations where it's a, it's a, you know, we report it, but then it's not, you know, we don't want to, you know, get anybody in trouble and, it, it, we, you know, I understand the empathy that goes into it, but as you just described, you know, where do we draw that line? And I feel like with sports officials, you know, that that's not, I mean, it, it, I understand its similarities and at the same time, I understand its differences in that this is not inside the home. This is out in public. This is, you know, behavior that is in public where people can see it and 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 take it in and think to themselves oh this is okay it's not happening behind closed doors and that almost tells me how important it is to get this stuff done as you just described because of that public nature of it would you agree absolutely agree and the challenge with legislation oftentimes is related to what you just said but it, it's it's the fact that people will say depending on their, their side of the argument, they'll, they'll say, well, we already have assault laws on the books, so why mm. do we need something protecting sports officials? That's a fair argument, right? We have assault laws everywhere, right. so why do you need something special? Well, we do our best to convince them that we deserve to be in a protected class. Mm. Every state has protected classes, uh, first responders, police officers, uh, nurses, teachers, and in some states, uh, I think your state even, cab drivers yes. are in a protected class because they're in particularly vulnerable situations. And what we try to do with any legislature that's considering this is convince them that that's the same thing for us in the sporting environment. Mm -hmm. We are in this society now that has placed such a great emphasis on sports and that has managed themselves so poorly in the sportsmanship area that sports officials are vulnerable. And we deserve to be in a protected class because we are all those things in the sporting arena. I'm not equating what we do to law enforcement by a long shot. Of course. But in the sporting environment, we are in a vulnerable situation and we have to convince lawmakers that that's the case so that we deserve special protection. In almost all cases, and this is sad, but very few state legislators are proactive. They're more reactive. When we have found success with legislation efforts, it's usually after a very high profile incident that was captured on video. And it let off the evening news for a few days. Mm. Then all of a sudden, you get a lot of people interested. Unfortunately, it comes to that in almost all cases. Yeah, you're, it's it it is unfortunate that happens, and I, I imagine it's a tough pill to swallow to say, you know, I'm sorry that that had to happen, but I'm and I'm yet at the same time I'm glad that it's getting the discussion started. I wish that it wasn't that way, right. and yet practically, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes to make progress. 
Um, do you feel that there is a correlation also between what we uh, perceive in professional sports and how we feel we can relay that down to the the, the youth or the, the non-professional levels? Because I always hear the argument, and it's a tough one, where what, what, what we see on TV is for, you know, especially at the non-collegiate level, so the, the completely professional level, it's entertainment. And, and yet we have the idea that as we perceive entertainment, that becomes uh, legitimate behavior. You know, it's, it's the old, well, I saw the manager kick dirt on the umpire, so I think I can do that at my kid's Little League game. Where do we stand on something like that while also trying to understand that, yes, it is a, a glorified entertainment form, and we, we only have so many tools in the toolbox to try and address it? That's a huge issue, and it always has been. Everybody calls it the trickle-down effect. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the young kids, the young coaches, they see certain behaviors at the highest of levels, and, and it trickles down in, into our, our games at the amateur level. Um, there are many organizations trying to combat that. First of all, um, there has been some credit given and should be to the pro leagues who are trying to pay more attention to this. You know, the the NBA, for example, with the Respect the Game initiative, um, we may debate on whether the effectiveness of that, but there's a there's a concerted effort to clean some things up. Mm -hmm. uh, Roger Goodell with the NFL has made similar statements that they have an obligation to the game as a whole. Uh, so that's good to hear from a leadership standpoint. Um, the practical effect is that is entertainment and it's not at our other levels but nobody knows that and nobody cares quite frankly we're having to deal with it too the greatest example we ever had years ago when there was a very infamous spitting incident with roberto alomar and major league umpire john hirschback yep. it made incredible national news for quite a bit do you know the number of spitting incidents that reported naso in, in the intervening months oh no it happened dozens of times oh no well, that's the trickle-down effect. Yeah. You know, we're getting reports at the high school level or the youth level where somebody, somebody spat on me. Well, I don't know. It's pretty easy to connect those dots that we had yeah. a very visible incident, and all of a sudden we're getting reports like that. So it does happen um, at the high school level and at the amateur level. You know, we still try to make that case that the goals are different, right? This is educational athletics. Mm -hmm. You hear it all the time from – NFHS administrators and state association. There's there is a reality to that. This is not professional sports, nor frankly, are we preparing you for professional sports. There's different goals here, and hopefully, we get people involved that are coaching, that are the athletic directors, and that are the sports officials that do believe in that ideal. Mm -hmm. And I think when they do, we got a better chance of curbing this behavior and taking care of it. So much of the, the challenge for the sports officials, Jack, is that we're just in the enforcement division. Right. I mean, it's up to the administrators to take care of this, and they've got to step up and do that. I think some of the challenges in those areas are that administrators are also feeling burned out and are changing over a lot. Yes. You know, the, old, the old days of the, the same AD being at the same school for 30 or 40 years and taking care of business with coaches – uh, we see it all the time. The AD turnover is incredible. The yeah. principal turnover is incredible. Maybe even the superintendent turnover is incredible. And maybe the longest tenured or most important person in the district is the head coach. Right. And that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, 
because somebody has got to find a way to manage those people. You know, we're having a problem with coaches. Well, why are you hiring them? <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, they win games. Well, is that what our goal is here at this right. level? Um, and that's where leadership and sports officiating can make a statement. You know, it's a blessing and a curse that there's a shortage, Jack. The, ble- the, the blessing in some measure, as long as we don't abuse it, is that we can be way more selective. Mm. Um, I'm not going to a school that has coaches that just totally disrespect officials. I don't need to. Yeah, I'm going to go where I'm wanted, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go where I want to work, and I'm going to go where they support officials, and I'm going to work for assigners that support officials. I can be way more selective than I could be in the old days. I think that message is starting to resonate with people. If you're going to have jerks for coaches and you got a renegade program that you're not taking care of, we're not sending our people there. Yeah, it's that simple. We 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 fight that here, where you know we've got a school that you know non prefers or bans officials over one call that might have been correct, yet it was it went against the team, and it's gotten to a point where they said to us, "Well, why do you keep sending us the same two or three officials?" Well, you banned everybody else. There's nothing else I can do. You know, right. it's 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 and 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 the psychology of trying to get that message across can be you know very very tough. And I imagine the psychology that goes into a lot of this stuff can be tough. I mean, it, 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 I don't remember the exact specifics that followed the Roberto Alomar incident, but you know, I imagine that taking a, you know, it, it's tough to you know look inside oneself and to apologize for something like that. You know, and the flip side to that is, you know, I always use the Jim Joyce example of, you know, right after the game, he was vulnerable and and whatnot, and that brought a new light onto officiating. And for you know a small amount of time, we kind of held hands and you said, "Hey, if 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 this guy can do it in that situation on the biggest of stages, we can all kind of lighten up a little bit." But then even that goes by the wayside. It goes by quickly. You know, we we were sort of a running joke, and it's not really funny. But coming out of COVID, uh, with all sports being shut down for as long as they were, we really felt. We truly felt like this was a chance to hit the reset button Mm -hmm. and that we would come together, especially at the amateur level again, where people would truly appreciate participating in sports and maybe just maybe treat sports officials a little bit better because they were so appreciative of playing it. That lasted about nine nanoseconds (laughs) (laughs) and we were right back to normal. Yeah, Uh, that was unfortunate. In fact, it's not just back to normal. It's worse. It's worse. Yeah. Um, So that appreciation for sports and appreciation for the coaches and appreciation for the opportunity and appreciation for sports officials that didn't last very long. Um, and, And it really has gotten worse. It seems like, you know, the, the mental effects of the pandemic, uh, you know, it, it's now manifesting itself in ways where what you just said is occurring. It's it's, you know, people get out of the house and all of a sudden it's everything that was, you know, locked deep inside as we were going through those frustrations is now coming out in an inappropriate way. And again, there's 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 no way to predict that. You know, you 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 hope that it's what you what you guys were hoping. And yet it's you know, now we see it because hindsight's 2020, you know. Right, right. You know, the hard part is that sports is out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love sports. It's all I've ever done. I played, I refereed, I've, like I said, coached a little bit at the very amateur level. But it, it's the emphasis on athletics in this country um, has, has gotten to a point where you really have to reflect on what we're doing. Um, I, I gave an example to a coaching group one time, and I think it's illustrative. But what are your expectations of your in this case, it was a high school group. What are your expectations of those officials? You know, you've heard the old adage, it actually started with baseball, but you got to 
You got to start perfect and then get better after. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that's not reality, but I, I truly believe people people think that. <laughs> yeah. So I gave an example. In the NFL, give or take, there's about four to five mistakes per game. Okay. And right. and most people wouldn't even know what they are. You know, they break them down later on tape or whatever. You know, some are more obvious than others. But there's about that many mistakes. These are the best officials on the planet who've got the best training on the planet, and there's right. going to be mistakes made, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody says, oh, yeah, well, of course, mistakes are going to be made. But but why aren't we living with them? Why right. aren't we learning from them? So now you go down to the Division One level. Let's just extrapolate those numbers. Let's say there's six or seven mistakes in a, in a Division One football game. That's not unreasonable. Yeah. Now, to your average coach at the Division One level, that's unreasonable. To your average fan at the Division One level, that's unreasonable. But that's not unreasonable. That means you're still scoring in that 95 to 98 percentile. Yeah. I'd like to see any other industry perform that. Yeah. So now, again, take it down a notch, right? Now let's go to the high school level. Isn't it reasonable to think there'd be maybe 10, maybe a dozen mistakes in a game? Again, many of which the average fan won't even notice. But there are probably going to be 10 or 12 mistakes in every high school game. When I said that to a high school coaching group, their jaws hit the floor. Like, what are you talking about? There can't be that many mistakes. The reality is their expectation on this high school crew working one Friday night yeah. at the amateur level is no different than in the NFL. That's what's got to get fixed. I don't know how to fix it. I wish I could. But the the expectation is wholly unfair. It's almost like, you know, in, in any level of football, it's, okay, there are 22 guys on the field. I don't mm-hmm. care if you put 10 officials out there. You, you, you're just not going to see absolutely everything. You can't call every holding penalty, for example. And no. I say I say the same thing in baseball because we're all working, you know, two umpire systems. We've tried to perfect this as much as we possibly can, but there are still shortcomings. You know, there are still, you know, I – if I can't watch a, f- a fair foul catch, no catch down the right field line and a tag at third at the same time. You right. know, it's 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 impossible. And we we look at the percentages and we say those are sacrifices we are willing to make. Um, and it just seems that 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 it's unreasonable to think that we we you know we have to be absolutely perfect. We just can't. Our you know our tax dollars can't afford more than two officials on a baseball game for crying out loud. You know it's 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 just going to be, uh you know what it's going to be. And is there a way to tell these people you know hey you got to lighten up. You got to understand that mis- that that the expectations are not what you think. I think part of the problem is the advent of replay at the highest of levels have created the same pressure on the amateur levels. Okay. There's a, there's an expectation for instant fix. Okay. So you see it happen at the pro level where we have what may be perceived to be a mistake Mm -hmm. and they're going to go take a look at it, you know, in their various forms of various sport, they're going to go take a look at it. That seems to have some level of appeasement, right? There's this pause like, okay, well, they still have a chance to get this right. right. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they'll reverse the call or do whatever they're going to do, and they get it fixed. Well, that expectation in sports has trickled down, mm. but we don't have those tools at our disposal. So to me, that leads to greater frustration and maybe poorer sportsmanship, because if we have that mistake and we miss that call at third base, I can't fix it. Yeah, Everybody expects me to fix it. 
but I can't yeah. fix it. And I think that leads to a greater sportsmanship problem because the pro sports have done what they needed to do at the pro level, but people don't accept it that it's just at the pro level. And right. even at the college level, we're doing it now too. So now there's more pressure on the high schools to have replay. Many states have it now in their state tournaments or at mm-hmm. their state championships because the stadiums are equipped for it. In the old days, no way that doesn't belong in high school sports. Right. We're here for different reasons. It's even trickled there now. Why? It's this greater push to be perfect, and we're never going to be perfect. Even at the highest levels of the NFL, NBA, MLB, with all that technology, they are still making mistakes. It's never going to be perfect. But the expectation is increased, and I think it has a lot to do with that instant fix that we can't do at the amateur level. It's very asymptotic in that it will continue to – get closer and closer to 100%, but it'll just never reach there. It's just, it's practically impossible as long as we're human beings. Um, What can the average person or sports fan do to help? I mean, is it as simple as be nicer or just, you know, joining the ranks to be an official or is there, is there more that can go into it? Well, watching my kids play uh, sports, um, very rarely did you see a good example, but a couple stand out. I watched a team from another state, actually. Our kids focused on volleyball. We're a lot of volleyball tournaments. And um, they played basketball and softball, too. You very rarely saw it there. Um, But there was a parent on another team that was starting to act out. And I just watched this kind of happen from afar. And one of the other parents shut it down. One of the other parents said, no, we talked about this. We're not going to do this today. Not here. Now, let's be respectful. And I, I just about fell off my chair. Really? And it worked. Um, maybe we need more accountability with each other. Too many people are afraid to say something. You've got the one loudmouth parent, and everybody knows that that's a problem. Yeah. But nobody wants to have the confrontation. Nobody wants to do anything about it. Um, that can help. It's dangerous. It's it's risky. Um more of it goes toward the tenor of the whole program and the coach. If that coach sets that expectation or that program sets that expectation with a parent meeting to start the season and say, look, we are not going to go down that road. We are not going to raise this team to be blaming others for our losses. We have to overcome whatever happens out there. We're going to have officials that are excellent. We're going to have officials that are learning and there are mistakes that are going to be made by both of them. And we're going to overcome it. And I'm not going to allow that to trickle into our heads to our kids that the referees were the reason we lost the game. Mm. That, to me, sends a strong message. And then when you do have that parent that's acting out, you can a little bit more forcefully deal with it because you said, remember, look, <laughs> we we signed a contract, if you will, that we weren't going down this road. And sometimes it is a formal parent contract. It is, yeah. You know, and that can be helpful to send a message that we're going to keep an eye on this stuff. The coach has a lot to do with setting those expectations. We have leagues around the country that are trying to solve this themselves. <laughs> this is un- this is unheard of, Jack, but we are advocating in some circles that the only way to get these parents under control is to affect the kids' playing time. Yeah, And that's sad. I said that at the NFHS consortium, uh, meaning that, that you and I were on the same yep. panel. Um, it, it, it just jars you to even have the thought, but if they're not going to behave and there is no other remedy, then the kid simply doesn't play. And uh, there are some leagues that are actually enacting that now to try to curb behavior. Yeah, 
it's 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 funny you mentioned that you know i remember when we were when we were in indianapolis and i heard you guys talk about how you know it's time to start canceling games because we've reached that critical mass and then you mentioned the the affecting the kids you know uh, playing time and whatnot in new jersey we were told to start liberally ejecting people you know because three ejections in a program you can't be in the in any playoffs here and I, and I, I stood up in front of umpires and coaches alike and said, so I'm getting this message from both the national level and then I'm getting a separate message from the state level. Trust me, we don't want to do any of this, mm-hmm. but it's it, it may be time. You know, we don't want it. We, we don't want to be the bad guys. But, you know, you know, if we don't fix this, there will be nothing left. That's you know? the hard part. We've got to we've got to know that we're doing this for the greater good. If you're in it for your own schedule. You won't have the guts to do that, what yeah. you just said. Yeah. You've got to understand there is a bigger picture here. And we often hear officials say, well, I don't feel like I'm supported by the governing body. I don't feel like I'm supported by my assigners. That may or may not be true. A lot of it is us. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is we lack the courage. Mm-hmm. And we are thinking ahead to next year's schedule. And, oh, my gosh, if I upset this coach, I might not get these games. Well, yeah. you've got to go beyond that. If you're thinking like that, you're not a real sports official anyway, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, you've got to get beyond yourself and do what's right, no matter what, and let the chips fall where they may. That's easy to say, but you've got to get to the point in your career where you're willing to do that. And the states do want this to happen by and large. Mm-hmm. They don't like how it's looking in their particular sport at their particular level. If we're in the enforcement division, we've got to do our jobs. Yeah. They can only do theirs when we do ours. That's a great point. That's a great point. Bill, is there anything else that I can I can, you know, allow you to to speak on uh, about because I want to make sure that the floor is yours and if I missed anything, you know, is there anything you you want to plug, any message you want people to take away that we didn't discuss? Whatever you have, please, the floor is yours for a moment or two. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. I'd like people to go to naso.org and consider joining NASO. Uh, NASO is a nonprofit 501c3 education-based association that wakes up every single day supporting sports officials. And we need members to be able to do all the things that we're talking about, including podcasts like this. Mm. We're out there fighting the good fight every single day. And more members means more fight. We're doing a lot more than we've ever done before with the media, getting interviewed, uh, legislation efforts that I talked about, training efforts, um, We've got a very robust group of people here that fight every single day on behalf of sports officials. So I'd like you to consider it. If you were an NASO member, come back to us. If you are a current NASO member listening, thank you for your support. Um, It is important that we have organizations like NASOs that are out there, in effect, fighting the good fight. So we'd appreciate you checking us out at NASO.org. That's beautiful, Bill. And and as always, you know, you know, I'm I'm so lucky and blessed to have met you in Indianapolis and to, and to create this connection. You know, all of OSIP is behind you as well. If we can ever do anything for you, uh, you know, please don't hesitate to 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 let us know because we we're with you 110. percent We know that that issue is there, and whatever we can do uh, to 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 continue that that good fight with you, we're on board. So I can't thank you enough for being here for taking time out of your day. Uh, it was a real pleasure, and uh, hope we can do this again sometime uh, and talk about happier things, too. Thank yeah. you, Jack. Appreciate the opportunity. It's it's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, everybody, thank you for joining us. Again, you can uh, check us out at osafoundation.org. Contact the show at podcast at osafoundation.org. Facebook.com slash, slash osafoundation. Twitter and Instagram at osafoundation. Hashtag how you play the game. We will talk to everybody in just a few short weeks. Until then, everyone, please treat each other with respect. Mm-hmm.
How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osipfoundation.org.